0: hello internet i am firebolt and i'm the orbiter and welcome to breaking borders episode Ooh, 2 nearly <laughs> um indonesia part 2 because um th- th- there's a lot of history there and um indonesia the sequel I mean I could have kept going last time, but we were running over quite a Come bit. On, it'd have been over three hours. Yeah. I should be like a history lecturer or something. <laughs> you should be like one.
1: In what respect?
0: Uh th- that I um I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm very fucking tired today. Yeah. Um I'm it's not, been an odd week for me. I'm not <laughs> sure I can be asked. Should we bother? Yeah, well, we will bother. Um, because I I have all my notes there, and I can't wait for another time. Whatever. Anyway, congratulations to, to explain. Oh, okay. well, quite a few things actually. Uh, if if you are not aware, um, on like the week before this probably goes out. Um, I came out as non-binary, which kind of feels. Bit strange. Um, Welcome to the world, Elwing. Yeah, I, I I'm not used to just being like f- fully out. Yeah, it's just sort of kind of strange at the moment.
1: But um, thank fuck for that. Is all I can say because I don't have to worry about accidentally
0: outing you anymore. <laughs> mm. Um. But yeah, I I I picked an interesting time to do that because for the last three days, including the day that we're recording this. I have been basically doing nonstop stop something called, um, without like the sleeping and stuff, uh, something called <laughs> Crisis, um, which is, uh, something that's done as like part of like the model UN conferences, um, but it's sort of like DND in suits, I've heard it described as. Basically, you send off directives to like a back room to d- do what you want with your nation or your character, that sort of thing. It's kind of. I I ended up being quite peaceful, which I was surprised by. I wanted to take back Berwick. I I was playing Tweed. I was playing Mary Black in a uh 2048 Scotland that has become independent.
1: And this was um the thing in which you um killed Coldplay, wasn't it? This is what we were.
0: Yeah, I. I bombed an English Conservative Party conference and...
1: Not actually.
0: Uh, I yeah. mean... Um, <laughs> yet.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, no. They, they invited Coldplay for some reason. Because, you know, which neo-fascist government doesn't like Coldplay. <laughs> Anyway, yes. That's boring to people that aren't actually a part of it, which I found well, quite a lot.
1: I have been on virtual placement all week. I should have been in of the first of three weeks of being in schools, um, but obviously that's not happening at the moment, so we had a virtual replacement of that online, so I've just been it's been a long week. And stuff. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> don't know whether I don't know what tonight's episode is going to be like. We're gonna we're gonna find some more stuff out about Shall, Indonesia.
0: And I, I know we had a bit of feedback from the wonderful Craig. Yes, who, who has has sent us this beer, Peaky um, Blinder? the congratulations for my coming out. Yes, um, and uh, it's I, very nice. <laughs> it is, it is nice, Peaky Blinder Black IPA. Mm. I'm not quite sure what the flavor is, but I like it. Um where is the
1: black country this is where it comes from um
0: it's in the midlands or something i don't know if, uh, yeah,
1: stourbridge i don't know where that is so anyway um so yes thank you uh we had a bit of feedback from from him so and actually, um, I should mention the uh, I did uh, I took part in the After Dark Podcast Network quiz and pub chat last night, and it was good fun. Yeah, I had to choose between yeah, drink- West Midlands. <laughs> I had to choose between drinkies and games with my student teacher colleagues from uni, or the After Dark Network quiz and. It was neck and neck, and I basically sat down at quarter past nine, and it was going to be first come, first served. Who, whoever was there first, basically, but I'm glad I ended up on the quiz, because when I looked in on Discord, um, my colleagues were playing chess, which doesn't strike me as particularly... I mean, I, I don't mind chess as a game, but it doesn't particularly
0: strike me as a drinking activity. See, the problem with going to university and i admit i am one of these people is that everyone's such a fucking massive nerd
1: <laughs> yeah that is true but it's kind of reassuring to be amongst your own kind
0: yeah i i like the sort of mix of chaotic and nerdiness that i get with some friend groups oh, i have to mention tom as well cuz he put a
1: he put a comment on on um one of the youtube videos um apparently I called him a knob in the last episode I don't remember doing well i kind of vaguely do it was a passing comment wasn't it um but as a result he's been invited to come along and f- feature on one of our episodes so we shall um be entertaining young Thomas at some point
0: <laughs> you make it sound so dirty <laughs> we shall see <laughs> Um, Pardon yeah, me? General news, though. Um, We're not allowed to do general news. Craig said so. No, well, that's what I was going to say. I <laughs> think we should still do some general news. A little bit. Because I can't really remember some of the things that happened. But anyway.
1: Women are getting shafted on the mainstream media. Um, basically, Nicola Sturgeon.
0: Oh, yeah. Versus Alex Salmond. I actually... Um, in this three-day conference, uh, got a speech from the former first minister of Scotland before Alex Hammond. All right. Um, who was that? He's, he's like forgotten. a. No, he he's, he's Lord. Um, he's a lord. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's like a he Labour lord, life then? peer. Okay. The Lord of Glen Corrigan. I've forgotten his name though. <laughs>
1: I think it might have been since, certainly since the last Breaking Borders episode. Not, not necessarily since the last Breaking Bollocks. I'm not sure, but um, Matt, the news from Matt Hancock got buried, didn't it? Ooh, that oh, that Oprah yeah, well, Winfrey interview's coming up out today, isn't it? Is it today?
0: I don't give a fucking shit about royal news. I just find it. They're not royal though. <laughs> that's that's the that's the best thing about it. They're not. They're not really royal anymore. It's the royals that are getting that are getting. Um, I mean, they literally had a fucking outed pedophile there and they were just like mm, oh, no that, that's fine. That's that's regular royal stuff. That's just the aristocracy. But <laughs> I, I well, don't even know what people are angry let's about. Let's face it, it
1: I'm was extremely kind of, convenient for Matt Hancock, wasn't it?
0: Not, that's because it's an entirely fucking fabricated story like all the manufactured rage around the Royal what if present on it. Do you think um do you think
1: Alex Salmon's getting a backhander from the Tories?
0: Yeah well I think he's just happy getting paid by fucking RT at the moment. It's difficult, um,
1: knowing who's who's controlling what. I, I reckon Putin's got some kind of hand in all
0: all of the chaos. He, he usually has, hasn't he? Just kind of. Well, it, it's it's simple. He just wants. He's self interested. He wants like settlement money, and he doesn't really care about anything particularly. Alex Hammond, I don't think anymore. Like. But the thing that annoyed me with that is that they basically boiled it down to blaming Nicola Sturgeon for things that Alex Hammond probably did. Like sexually harassing women, possibly sexually assaulting women. And it's just like, why is that not the story there, rather than this fucking... Very minute details of, like, parliamentary procedure. (laughs) What I
1: want to know is why leaders of the SNP have to be called by fish names.
0: Um, I don't know. What do you think the next one's going to be? Um, somebody
1: codpiece? (laughs) I mean... Harry Haddock?
0: Okay. It could be Paul Brill. (laughs) Oh, that's- <laughs> God help us all
1: Or even Elwing Brill
0: I'm not leading the SMP
1: <laughs> For those who don't know, a Brill is uh, another kind of fish Anyway um, Which I didn't know until I was way too far into my life to Um I can't even remember. I can't finish sentences. My brain's given up. Right. No, are we? we
0: what, have you done general news? Are you, well, I'm are you pissed all? off at the Democrats because they have... Which ones? The US ones. Yeah, right. Okay. They have a majority in both houses. They have the presidency. Yeah. And yet they still don't pass fucking minimum wage. Okay. Because their own party... Oh! Yeah, sorry, carry on. ...voted against it, and the leadership basically did nothing to push it. Mm. Like, they just don't fucking care. They just... Uh, it fucking annoys me. This might be out of date by Thursday, but I don't know, it's not really... Well, it kind
1: of, it is related, but it's a different country. It's our country. Well, it's not actually our country, it's England. Um, I don't know what the Scottish position is on this, but... Um, I think half of the nurses are about to go out on strike. Yeah. Because <laughs> the government's just turned around and given them a big fuck off. I mean, they <laughs> got, got a been
0: 1% pay rise, which is actually a real terms pay cut, which yep. doesn't even cover car park costs, which I thought they were meant to be getting rid of, but... I mean, it just seems like well, a fucking stupid thing to charge your own staff car parking charges for the NHS. We, do, we
1: you don't even get charged as a visitor at um, Aberdeen Royal Infirmary.
0: Uh, but if, it's
1: just it's like you just free park. They've privatized it so much at this point, it's just disgusting. Which is why I say I don't know what the uh, what the deal is at the moment with it because NHS Scotland's separate, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I would guess that would go through a separate procedure. Um, mm. Especially as I think... Is your laptop about to take off? Yeah, it does that occasionally. Mm. Um, This is computers, isn't it? It is. Anyway, uh, I think, like... Didn't they, like, send payments to nurses because they thought that the UK wasn't actually paying them enough, or was that something else? Um.
1: I don't know uh, if that's uh, if what you're referring to might be um, carers' allowance. They um, give carers uh, an extra payment twice a year because um, they don't think that carers' allowance um, paid by the DWP is enough. So Scotland give an extra bonus every six months.
0: Um. But yeah, I mean, I think the sort of goal of all the sort of posturing around um, the whole, I mean, they, they've made it into a Sturgeon thing, when it's really just Alex Salmon probably raped some people. And that's something to do with the SNP, so therefore, like, trying to present it at this story of, like, oh, could support for independence be following... Well, I said at the beginning of the year that
1: it's going to be smear campaign after smear campaign until May, isn't there? Just yeah, just, and just to try uh, and stop the stop them getting seats.
0: Tories can literally break the law and kill thousands of people. Well, that's the thing. And they either get swept under the rug or literally presented as Superman, as Richie Sunok has enjoyed for the what, last couple of weeks.
1: What what I find particularly galling is that um, they're calling for Nicholas Sturgeon's resignation before the case is even finished on the. Possibility that she may have broken, uh, misled somebody, and, and broken min- ministerial conduct rules, uh, and yet they're not calling for the resignation of their own cabinet members who have been through court and found guilty of criminal activity while in the cabinet.
0: Yeah, well, it's because like breaking the law is kind of par for the course with this cabinet. Like,
1: it's almost like. It's all right to break the law as long as you. It's it's all right to fuck people over as long as you're honest to their face about it and tell them, yeah, we're fucking you over, and they still let you do it. But
0: and no, they weren't honest about it. There was, it was that they weren't publishing who were they were giving contracts to. I felt that like that was the issue. Yeah, uh, yeah, at the time, yeah, yeah. But it's like, no, I don't know. I mean, I think we were all pretty aware that they were handing contracts to. Their Did they ever release that Russia stuff? No, I don't think that's ever actually been released. It was meant to come in after the 2019 general election. And the be- they were just like, yeah, look, we didn't bother to investigate it's- that
1: because it would absolutely implicate us. It's almost like they kept Dominic Cummings around just long enough for people to forget about the Russian thing before they got rid of him.
0: Oh, I mean, he was a convenient <laughs> scapegoat a couple of times, I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah, keep keep your distractions close. Anyway, should we move on to some Indonesian news? Uh, if you want, <laughs> what we got? I got a dragon slayer here. A dragon slayer. Yeah, a prehistoric Australian goanna seduced the mighty Komodo. Apparently, don't know what this is about. The world's largest living lizard, the Komodo dragon, reproduced with a species of lizard only found in Australia. What's this study into unusual breeding habits? Okay, so that's that's news. Uh, what else is happening? Uh, black bear brown- 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 found in Borneo. And- there's not an awful lot going on. Ten rescued well, orangutans are returned to the wild. I
0: went to Al Jazeera and found some more interesting stuff. It's not oh, necessarily yeah. um, that's good. Just about Indonesia, but involved Indonesia to some extent. Um, I mean, there's stuff about uh, like private, privatized COVID vaccines. Yeah. Um, can have a look at that quickly. Um,
1: oh, that was five weeks
0: ago. Yeah, so they're allowing private companies to import vaccines to speed up herd immunity. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I would be interested because I mean it's been, I think, quite a different situation in like the UK in terms of getting vaccines out because like a lot of it. I think, had actually been produced in the UK or with people that we have like already pre-established deals with. Mm. Um, so a lot of countries that like didn't really have that so much, either because there wasn't so much of a necessity for it or they just don't really have the infrastructure to do that. Um, I'd, I'd sort of having a very different political situation around vaccines. Yeah, Mm. because I've noticed that the particularly the Astrazeneca one, it's got very different opinions in Britain compared to like the rest of Europe. Yeah, like there's a lot of skepticism around it outside the UK. Mm.
1: Um, rights abuses against indigenous people this is this is a couple of weeks old but it would have been since the last episode um well uh,
0: we might get onto that because um
1: well this is this is a recent thing so obviously there'll be something in history that you've been looking at then maybe but it's yeah. something that's coming
0: i mean it would have been a little bit further back but yeah definitely there is
1: basically a... um there's a lot of countries at the moment uh that are trying to mitigate the economic um consequences of the covid um pandemic by reviving their economies, and uh, the NGO Forest Peoples Programme has found that um, forest clearing and new mines and stuff like that are uh, supposedly a good way of clawing back some of the money, even if the indigenous communities in those areas um, basically lose their home um, to fund it. So uh, social and environmental protections for indigenous communities have been set aside in five countries in favor of a new project projects so there's a rise in violence and deforestation
0: mm. um yeah well i found that interesting um because on my course uh to do with like ecology and environmental science um we're beginning to move on to the human part of that um rather than just like how all these systems work normally um Which means quite directly confronting that capitalism has played a very big role in like speeding up basically stripping the world's countries of all their natural resources to pay off debt with exorbitant interest rates that are lended to them basically as like a price for being colonized. Yeah. Like I mean, this is isn't like specifically to do with um Indonesia, but um I mean so it was about Ghana has about i think thirty two billion dollars in debt twenty six of that belongs to Western banks,
1: and speaking of which i'm just I'm just looking at one of the articles on the Indonesia page you got up on Al Jazeera there about um uh, it was. 25th of February, this article, which is since our last episode, um, after a gold mine collapse. They're looking for missing people. Six dead already.
0: Yeah, an illegal mine. I, d- I think it's important to point out here that while those operating the mine do bear some responsibility for that, like they're all trying to pay off someone else, and that starts with the banks it's weird isn't it just the concept of an
1: illegal mine it's like can you imagine i mean i'd like to think that it doesn't happen in the uk but i'm just trying to think you know can you imagine somebody's just like
0: <laughs> mining we probably more have like without uh, permits and stuff trafficking for like illegal sweatshops or well i know
1: i know i don't know um if this still happens but i do remember in the news a few years back about um Basically, slave labor being used um, for picking. What is it? Is it winkle picking? I don't know. It's like you know, you know, you get like mud flats when the sea goes out um, in these places where it's a really shallow gradient. Um, and I think it was actually somewhere near Liverpool. Um, it's up. The, it's up that northwest area. There, they'd they'd be uh, they'd be quite often. Um, either trapped or drowned because the sea comes in so quickly because they'd be out there picking I think it's winkles. Is it cockles? I don't know. Some kind of shellfish that that, that is left on the mudflats when the sea goes out. Um but if they don't To
0: tidal mollusks.
1: Yeah, that sort of thing. Um but I don't know if that still happens, but they used to have gangs of um slave labour kind of people picking stuff there and getting around when the sea came in and stuff.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but basically um, the developing world often has to scramble by like, doing deforestation, illegal mining operations. I and mean, this is a gold mine so very valuable stuff but it's quite dangerous obviously and presumably th- 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 when you're doing that, the conditions are gonna be quite fucking awful, like they're gonna be down there I mean here like it, it collapsed and killed six, but like the conditions that they're under will probably affect others for life and probably yeah, but more. I
1: mean obviously that means there's not there's not the correct sort of safety um legislation in place to for-
0: well, I mean it's illegal. Yeah, which means if
1: there are any regulations for safety in a legal mine, then they're not enforceable because it's it's not officially there, is it? So they can't kind of... And like like we've got the health and safety executive here. If there was a mine and it was legal here, it would have to follow certain guidelines for safety. But with it being an illegal mine, there won't be those guidelines, which is why it perhaps collapsed because there aren't... I don't know what their HSE... Um, health and safety situation is in Indonesia for for legal operations but
0: well my guess is because a lot of Indonesia is rainforest um, where some of these natural resources would be would be quite hard to like effectively police yeah Mm. Um, because I did see that about Brazil in that same documentary which I think was surviving progress if anyone's interested um of like how Brazil polices um the illegal operations in the Amazon, because yeah, you know, that's gonna be a big thing in Brazil, and th- they don't really effectively have that much power, and the power that they do have is to shut down operations of people that are sort of like, yeah, you're doing the bad thing, but like you're not." really the one at the top of this here because like a lot of the politicians in Brazil actually like own quite large operations
1: yeah i wonder how much the general Agro population
0: courts. know about that
1: like d- um, what i'm trying to get at is it's interesting seeing that and talking about that corruption from outside brazil i wonder how people talk about the high-up politicians from outside the UK.
0: Really, probably the biggest um, corruption thing here is to do with property markets. Yeah. It's just the housing market and the housing crisis here are basically the same thing. Mm. So, um, do we
1: got any more Indonesian news before we head into following
0: up on... I mean, it's not up specifically on- Indonesia, but it's it's, I think... In the area. I mean it's noteworthy of um, Indonesia's like political and geographical influence on the region um, of um, I'm guessing FM might be like first minister or foreign minister um, Indonesia FM saying that the Myanmar um, crisis which I haven't been following particularly closely um, I saw that there was a Yeah, I haven't. I mean,
1: I'm not sure whether or not it's because it's kind of um, still ongoing and has just sunk out of the news, like things do, or because I haven't been watching as much news. But I do, I do tend to catch some news every day, even if not as much as I did before. So, if it was still in the headlines, um, I would probably know about it. But that doesn't, as I say, mean that uh, that the problem's kind of gone away. It's more likely that it's been squashed, or um, I don't know. I feel like the spotlight is just elsewhere now.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I've I've seen a lot of more stuff like before the coup. I think around about um, the treatment by the military of the Ringer people. Yeah. Um, which I, I found interesting because it's sort of, and I think this is something that um, Indonesia somewhat shares as we'll get into, where, or really a lot of countries share, where the army and the government aren't necessarily like one in the same.
1: Well, they're not now, are they? I mean, well, they are possibly now, It depends, after the coup. The military kind of took over didn't they in Myanmar
0: but it it, it sort of what? feels very weird from over here because it's sort of like well the government takes actions and uses the military to do them like it would seem weird over here for the military to just overthrow the government mm,
1: it, it makes you wonder what 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 it would take for that to happen because i assuming at some point the military was under the um command of the government if you like um
0: I think it's it sort of situations where the military sort of gets its own sort of political power. Yeah, um, I noticed on
1: that headline about the the uh, Indonesia's ex foreign minister. It says ASEAN.
0: Who's that? What's that That's, organization? Uh, it's kind of like, um, I guess, sort of like a NATO yeah, u type thing for yeah. Asia. Yeah. Um I'm trying to remember what specifically it stands for. I think it possibly includes like uh
2: it probably atmosphere. says further
1: down if you scroll
0: down.
2: Um, um, Association
1: of Southeast Asian Nations.
0: Yeah. Um it it's sort of a trading block type thing. Yeah. So
1: yeah, he's calling for them to stop shooting at innocent civilians and that was only a few days ago so it seems like it's still happening.
0: Yeah, it says here about um, Indonesia chairing ASEAN in um, 2011 which we'll get into how in the later stages of modern development they sort of assert their influence on the global stage.
1: Right, okay. Um, do you want to let me know when we're going to head into resuming our journey through Indonesian history? Because before well, we do, I should um, I should insert some muzak. Uh,
0: yeah, I think the rest of this is mainly about... I mean, there's mo- the monsoon thing, which I think we may have covered last time. Yeah, well, that's the thing. There's the, There was a thing I picked up on was a volcano, but that was Ooh. five weeks ago. So. That's interesting. Uh, Indonesia banning... Mandatory religious attire. Ah. Did we not cover that last time? No? I cannot remember. My <laughs> brain has
1: turned to mush. Okay, so before we resume our journey through Indonesian history and you remind us of the story so far, do you want to give us a story so far first, before I do a bit of music?
0: Oh, God! Right. So basically, basically. <laughs> Potted history. Um, hmm.
1: This is this is all kind of before it becomes Indonesia as such, isn't it? It's, um,
0: yeah. To see the difficulty is there's like different histories going on at once, and th- we're kind of piecing together information from different places. Yeah. But it kind of asserted itself using trade. Yeah. For the what most part. what point were we at? What point did we leave it at? What what
1: sort of century? What era? Um.
0: um well, we left it around about um the start of the colonial period or kind of in the middle basically once the dutch east india company had kind of collapsed or been disbanded i forget what it was specifically called um where is it Uh, hold on yeah it it was it was terminated um by the dutch government i'll be back i don't um, know why that came
1: out with a west country accent hold on
0: yeah but basically kind of what's more interesting is how like different religions came in so like you had initially a sort of synthesis of buddhism and um hinduism coming in with indigenous beliefs um establishing itself in various kingdoms which kind of used chinese and indian trade to gain power and then there was this whole thing about um quite a prosperous period with the majapahit i always say that i think that was right well um and then like Muslim all kingdoms this, came in. All of this is in the previous episode, isn't yeah. it? So we're kind of that's the stage we're at. Um we're at the stage where um yeah, we'll get into that. Anyway, if you want to start Well,
1: for, uh, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to correct something that I did with the pieces of music in the first part. Um one of them um I ended up playing a sort of uh modern version of the um, Tembang Sunda, didn't they? Um, it's uh, uh, music that evolved in the mid nineteenth century. Um, but the one that I found on YouTube was a bit sort of poppy. So this is the this is the um, vocal and instrumental music, um, two parts. Solo vocalist accompanied by indigenous music instruments such as rebab, suling, and kakapi indung. Uh, initially performed at private events such as receptions um, and recently started being performed at public concerts as well. So this is the original Ten Bang Sunda, not the poppy one that I played last time. Ever beat?
0: Oh, I think um, this is actually part of. Um, in Civilization 5, they use this song in the soundtrack for Indonesia. This actual song? Yeah, the tune at least. Alright, oh, okay. I, I'm guessing it's a fairly traditional tune then. Perhaps,
1: yeah. Um, This is uh, singer Nani Sukmawati. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It's not funny, I'm sorry. I'm being very childish. Sukmawati. (laughs) Okay, well, I'll leave that in the background while you uh, keep us going then. So, um,
0: So, let's continue our historical journey. Well... I mean basically, uh, the Dutch East India Company by this point had muscled out British and Portuguese colonists, right um, kind of coordinating them off in areas and kind of using various political and economic mechanisms to force people to trade with them essentially right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they kind of just wanted the spices without actually contributing any value to the people around them I mean it seems like all all over that region, the huge
1: region um that that sort of central European and western countries are basically just fighting to get control of the resources, basically isn't it? It's kind of
0: yeah. I mean, it it sort of exploitation, basically. The Ottomans also did this to some extent. It's just I think they had more of a territorial empire, yeah, like the Russians did. Um, but like a contiguous land empire. I mean, rather than going off overseas and so they were
1: called what they were called the Dutch East India Company.
0: Well, they had a Dutch name, um, which I've forgotten, but um, that's what they've been. So was that
1: was that um, actually like a, what we would think of now as a private corporation?
0: Yeah, I think so. But it got a lot of money for the Dutch government.
1: Right. Okay. Because I'm just thinking, like, could you equate that to the similar sort of thing where, like, a, a say a British or an American oil company? Has a lot of influence in a particular region, or sets up in a different country. Oh
0: yeah, fun fact. You know, it's not actually the um, Dutch
1: government that are in control, but they support a company who kind of have a lot of control there.
0: Yeah, they, they kind of. I mean, it, it's sort of quite complex economics where it's like that they inject the cash into Dutch society. I'm not sure how much like money went directly to the Dutch government, but. You know, It goes to them in taxes as well, to some extent. Yeah, so it's like sort of state sponsorship. Uh, I guess. But fun fact, uh, Norway, all the sort of high-tech stuff they have in Norway, a lot of that is gotten from colonial gale- gains over oil companies, which Norway owns quite a lot of. <laughs> right, okay. I I just don't like because I'm learning a lot about like how all the countries that we normally sort of praise and it's like oh they're so progressive it's like yeah no they they don't care about that when it comes to foreign policy
1: yeah I mean there's this close links between Aberdeen and um and Norway like uh, I know when I was at the airport there's there's regular multiple daily flights between Aberdeen and Oslo and Stavanger and you know. There's a shared interest there. All that North Sea stuff going on. Mm. I'm assuming there must be a, a line down the middle of the North Sea somewhere where it's all kind of Norwegian on one side and British on the other.
0: Oh, well, that's probably gotten even more complicated now. and uh, uh,
1: Norway, one of those countries that aren't... It's in the European complete... Economic Area, yeah. so it will follow some of the same treaties. Are we
0: still in the European economic area, or are we... I uh, don't think so, technically, but we kind of effectively are through the deal that we kind of have to follow. Yeah, but uh, I did notice, actually, there's coming back to
1: news, that the EU are, again, threatening very soon to take legal action against the UK for breaking the um, rules about the uh, Ireland border.
0: Mm. Well, I mean... Basically, the reason for like those things is like um to stop fishermen literally ramming their boats into each other, which genuinely happened, oh, yeah, in I remember Iceland. that, yeah, I remember that happening, I remember that being on the news, yeah, was that in the eighties uh late seventies, early eighties yeah. um um, but yeah, basically, kind of part of the reason um that uh, the Dutch East Sydney Company even falls. Is um is stuff going on in Europe because what's happening at the end of um the seventeen hundreds is the French Revolution. Right. And this is when Napoleon rises to power and then goes and invades the Netherlands. Oh wow. We're getting into celebrity now. Well well, revolutionary forces go and invade the Netherlands. Napoleon's in there somewhere stirring shit up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you got
1: me thinking about um Bill and Ted now.
0: Um, so, yeah, basically <laughs> the territory that the Dutch, Dutch East India Company effectively had is renamed to the Batavian Republic and then later to the, Batavian? King, to the Who's Kingdom... Batavian? Who's it
1: renamed by? Uh, I
0: think? assume by kind of uh, French-Dutch government. Right. Um, also, uh, the monopoly they had kind of gets... Uh, undermined
1: by the French as well, right? Okay, hang on. That's in 1795. Is that um the area uh, that became Indonesia that's renamed the Batavian Republic? Yeah, yeah.
0: Because um, Jakarta used to be called Batavia,
1: and that's where they set up their headquarters. Right. Which is interesting because I'm just reading the next point you've got on your document about Napoleon renaming the Netherlands.
0: Uh. Yeah, well, I I think he kind of changed it to, um, whatever suited his monarchist plans. Right, because he was installing his brothers and cousins in all sorts of seats of power in Europe. Um, Wait, was there more than one Napoleon? Because I noticed you got Napoleon the first there. I think quite a lot of his, um, well, the, yeah, I I think a lot of his. Descendants named like themselves after him. Yeah, because he's quite a, I mean, controversial, but um, one of these like great historical figures. This, I mean, looking
1: at the dates, this is all kind of leading up to um the eighteen twelve overture, isn't it?
0: (laughs) Well, that's uh, yeah, I suppose with Napoleon. This is Napoleon's
1: rise, basically. He's 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 kind of moving across... Uh, moving up and across Europe. Presumably at some point he's going to come up against the Russians. Yeah,
0: I mean... I, I never attack the Russians in winter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just full stop, probably don't bother attacking the Russians. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, basically... Um, Napoleon inserted his own governor, which was um, one of his marshals, uh, Herman Willem Dendels. It's fascinating. I mean, it's it's really easy to almost
1: get sidetracked into European history, isn't it? But we're we're talking about, I suppose that that's that part of it's just the background that kind of makes sense of what's
0: going on on, on in Indonesia or what becomes Indonesia. Yeah. So basically, before this point, like the Dutch East India Company would have been. Effectively just there for the resources. Like, they would have done political stuff to get better trade. But, mm. you know, they weren't very interested in, like, actually invading very much. Yeah. Or direct conflicts. Um, this changes with um, Dandel's here. Um, Herman Willem Dandles. Who the fuck is he? Uh, well, Napoleon's inserted... Oh, Governor General.
1: Napoleon's Marshal,
0: yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. So basically, he starts strengthening defences, builds a bunch so he, of new infrastructure. He becomes Governor General of the Batavia, like the territory that they already had there in the Dutch East Indies.
1: Right. Okay. Not uh, the Commonwealth of Batavia, which is the Netherlands.
0: Is that right? Well, the Netherlands is the Kingdom of
1: Holland. Right. Okay. The Commonwealth of Batavia is includes presumably the Kingdom of Holland and um the Dutch East Indies any any a bit like the British Commonwealth that it would have included um their colonial yeah gains if you like
0: I'm not sure if this means that like he was um in charge of all of Dutch colonial territories or, or just that area, yeah,
1: well, it looks like it might just be that area from what you've got down next.
0: But basically, what he does quite a bit is like centralizing the government because before it would just be like, oh, this village does this thing. And like, they have a king, but like, you know, it's sort of like. So villages next door to one another might even go to war under the same king. So, I mean, even though a lot of this um,
1: might seem to be of kind of a fairly brutal colonial regime. One thing, I suppose, that it did do is kind of unite the area, if you like, or the the islands, maybe.
0: Yeah, we'll get into that a lot more later when the Dutch return. Right. Um, return? Yeah, so, well, basically, because um, if you are aware of what happens with Napoleon, the British then get control of... Um, this area and said, um basically the guy that runs India uh appoints uh Thomas Stanford they're Ruffles. Not, they're not very Indian.
1: imaginative, are they? You've got down there the British East India Company. We had the Dutch East India Company. Do they not I mean is do they just have just generic names with their nationality stuck in front of them? Or
0: I mean they have a different name in Dutch. It's just oh, yeah, I suppose, yeah. I think it's <laughs> it gets shortened to like VOD I can't remember yeah okay Um, so this Thomas
1: Stanford Raffles
0: yeah who's an interesting figure um, because he kind of wants to liberalise the economy which meant a very different thing in the 1800s um, because like classical liberalism is it's a whole thing i don't understand economics enough to tell you what that means but um well i mean you could be more cynical (laughs) here and say like oh this is just to get gains for the british but he does seem to at least have some respect for the culture there Um, right okay However, be aware, most of the information for this does come from Botanica. They might be a bit biased. <laughs> um, yeah, he rediscovered Borobudur, which I found interesting. What is Borobudur? Well, um, way back in like the 900s, in um, that period... Is it a temple, by the look of what you're... Yeah, it's thinking? a Buddhist temple, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, Buddhist temple. Um, it was sort of built during a period of prosperity in Java. Yeah. Mm. Um, and even published, like, a history book of it in 1817 before returning to England. Right. And he even further centralised the government um, and basically put it into... Um, hang on, what was it? <laughs> It kind of... uh The Dutch sort of operating on a pseudo-feudal system um right. to try and, like, put their influence there. Now, my
1: history is very... My historical knowledge is very patchy, but to me, feudalism... um The only f- reason I know about feudalism is from my studies of English history where they'd have, like, a lord of the manor and... um people would live on the estate that
0: he owned they would be fed but I that would be it and they would work the essentially land essentially how it works is like you get awarded titles with land um for like services to a certain person and that's how power is distributed
1: right so i mean like for instance you'd be you'd 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 have responsibility for a strip of land and you would work that land and in return you'd be fed yeah,
0: but then you would pay certain taxes and provide troops to your lead. Yeah. Going all I mean, the way up to it like a king.
1: I know it's uh, I know it's not I mean it does seem metaphorically and in essence it does seem very similar to what happens in modern society. It's just that there's there's money involved. <laughs> you know, you you've got your own patch, you've got your job. But it's like <laughs> you kind of work the economy. most of
0: them pay tax directly to the government yeah. rather than paying it to one liege to another. It's not like this whole chain, right? Okay, mm. I think I don't, I don't really understand it enough to give you the details on that. I'd, um, I, I've kind of put a note in here of that I don't think technically that system was feudal, it just kind of operated like it was feudal. Well, I mean,
1: you have said that he, in that note you've made there, that he he believed it was a feudal system of
0: government implemented by the Dutch. Yeah. But. Um, so after Napoleon is defeated, um, Java's returned to the Dutch. And. Well, that.
1: <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Returned to the Dutch. It's like. It was never theirs in the first
0: place, really. But it's kind of yeah, but treaties and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but the way that they'd, um set think up it was the administration... like just a piece of paper
1: or something. Here you are. This here's the here's the deed. Here's the here's title for that.
0: a thousand years of rich culture and history. I mean, that's
1: that, that's, that's essentially global feudalism, isn't it? It's like here, yeah. you are, have the title to this land. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean... With its
1: workers.
0: (laughs) I mean, that's effectively all that keeps us from, like, owning all the islands around the world. Yeah. Now. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's pieces of paper saying, you own this and um, if you disagree I have a bigger army than you to say no. Mm. Which gets very difficult when you have um, differing treaties saying different things about land borders. Yeah. Um, And you don't want to go to war anyway um yes uh well basically the way that this has been set up by uh dandels and subsequently raffles um makes it a lot more expensive okay because it's now got like administrative costs they kind of wanted to keep it fairly simple um just to make a fuck ton of money without really doing that much, mm. um, and you know, now we get like revolts breaking out in Java, um, one of which um in the Java War in uh 1825, uh, led by a prince. Um, <clears throat> there's a whole thing about like um, succession supported by um Islamic leaders and stuff. Do you know what's weird now though?
1: Is that the kind of dates we're talking about now are I mean for instance, I know my granddad was born in nineteen eleven. Mm. So there's every chance that his granddad was alive when this was happening.
2: Mm. That's very key.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well I mean this is something that I was wanting to get into in the later bit that we are a part of history yeah Mm. I mean most of the history around my life is fairly recent stuff but at some point it will (laughs) do you think in a couple of hundred years somebody will
1: be making a podcast about Brexit
0: (laughs) yeah it's a historical event yeah Yeah. it's just it takes a very different what the fuck were they doing (laughs) I think the way that it's documented now is very different Yeah. Um, So yeah, Prince um, Diponegoro That's easy for you to say It's really not But basically Go on, say the next bit Passed over for succession of what? Yogyakarta Oh,
1: that's not so difficult
0: Uh, He got sort of left out of succession And this happens a lot Wars of succession Where it's kind of confusing Who's actually right Basically, um, some people who I guess were unhappy with the Dutch government and some Islamic leaders who well, were doing their own thing were like, yeah, this is our chance here.
1: Isn't it usually the the victor who's right? Because they write the history.
0: Essentially. So I guess it's the Dutch <laughs> that's right, depending on when you're looking at. Anyway, they basically... Uh, Pate's sat there going, yes, It is. It is. <laughs> Yeah, they did, like, basically guerrilla war- warfare against the Dutch. And, um, but that, like, lasts for about five years. And then that prince is exiled to the Celebes, which are, like, some isles kind of to the, I think, uh, east of Java. Okay. It's all wars, isn't it, then? Um, yeah, then they're drawn into a war with um islamic leaders um, th- this isn't actually like a war between the dutch and islamic leaders this is islamic so, leaders fighting one another i mean this is a pretty tumultuous period you've got you've got the java war uh, a revolt a, vo-
1: a revolt breaking out into the java war in 1825 and then what is it like 5 years of challenge against the Dutch authority. And at the same time, you've got the Dutch being drawn into another war.
0: Well, yeah, basically they... In Western Sumatra. They supported the locals, um, as opposed to the Islamic leaders. Um, And they managed to keep that going up until 1837, the Padres, which are the Islamic leaders. Mm. um. Okay, so now we get into 1830. Johans van der Bosch, Um devises something which... Uh, <laughs> can I tell my Discord server to please fuck <laughs>
1: off? <right? laughs> it is slightly distracting. Distracting when a message comes out saying, we are frogs.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm just going to meet this server here. <laughs> like... and. <laughs> I shouldn't post memes before doing a podcast. <laughs> oh, no. Here we uh, there we go.
1: There we go. Sorry t- about the uh, interruption there, folks. We shall resume very shortly.
0: Um. Basically, what he implements is something called the culture system. Now, th- th- we'll get into this later where it becomes quite interesting how Dutch politicians think about this. Yeah. Um. But basically, this means that every village's production, one fifth of that, is set aside for export, which would be paid to the government, and that's like their form of rent, basically. So that's like almost
1: like us paying twenty percent tax, but it's in the form of goods.
0: Um. Or yeah, produce. Well, basically, they're assessed for how much they think that they should be paying. And if they give back more than that, like they have a particularly good harvest and they give more than they were expecting, they get some of that back. Um, But, and this is quite... This is kind of glossed over here. If they return less, they just have to make that up. So it would be like having a... um,
1: A set level of tax that we're expected to pay. And if we earn more than that, we get some of it back. But if we earn less, we have to make up the difference.
0: And just to drive home just how much the Dutch were basically extracting value here, it made up a third of their budget, this system. The Dutch budget? Yeah, the Dutch government's budget... A third of that came from revenue from the culture system. A
1: a third of their budget came from a fifth of another country's output.
0: Essentially, yeah.
1: (laughs) Which means that a fifth of that country's output is more than a third of the Dutch's...
0: Well, there's a bunch budget. of like market stuff going on here that makes yeah. it a bit more complicated, but yeah, kind of.
1: So basically that area is actually more affluent, or it would be more
0: affluent if the Dutch weren't taking. Well, yeah, they do it. have some costs to run it, but the idea is that the revenues are so great from this system. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Seems a bit of a con, really. But it kind of basically the idea is you know, that money was going mostly to the Dutch from the culture system, which mean, meant that they, they weren't developing the area very well. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, um, but, I mean, the, the, this is all that time that we look back on and see that this was sort of very early industrial era for our development wasn't it our western development the the countries that are that are kind of we think of the biggest problem with climate change now are the ones that are developing now but if we'd allowed them to develop when they could have done they'd have been developing alongside us instead of yeah uh, a couple of hundred years later
0: and th- that's still going on
1: yeah um This is kind of off-topic. I wonder wonder if that means, though, that our development would have been slower. I mean, I suppose, in essence, that makes sense, but it might have been better if that was the case, because maybe if we developed slower, we would have done it with a bit more
0: sense. Why do you think (laughs) this rather small island in Europe started the Industrial Revolution first?
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Basically, basically we're a bunch we're of fucking slaves to the, the planet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, and it, remember, the Dutch are also probably engaging in slave trade elsewhere. I'm not entirely sure how much they were doing in the uh, East Indies with that, but. <laughs> it
1: almost makes you feel like Brexit is the rest of the planet. Sort of ringing us through the streets,
0: going shame, shame, (laughs) Europe, really? (laughs) Yeah, true, true. Um, but also this sort of thing about like, oh, if you get surplus, you get reimbursed, and if you don't, you just have to make up the difference. That means that like inequality goes up quite a lot between different farmers, which means that you start getting like a like rural ruling class sort of like. so the
1: farmers that are doing well get more money back and the farmers that
0: aren't doing well get more taken away mm. and at the same time um, they start making indigo, sugar, that sounds... tea coffee, tobacco and pepper compulsory to cultivate
1: that sounds very much like um, the system we've got in place now like the comp you know, the corporations, the rich people get more money back and the poor
0: get more taken away. Basically, yeah. Yeah. I mean it's all about what they can pay really. And Yeah. And um I mean, you could argue that this is because, like... I wonder how much of this was driven by the banks back then, because a lot of it's driven by
1: the banks now.
0: Yeah. Uh, So population begins to grow, um, agriculture, agricultural um, capacity, I guess, increases because of this, but Mm. in a very dubious way where, like, very little of the value is actually going to the people growing it. Wonder if there's any um, parallels there. Anyway, um, do we have a a pausing
1: point coming up anywhere for some muzak?
2: uh, We
0: can try and get to one. So, uh, What's happening next then? There's a lot of Chinese immigration and um, they kind of come into it in a sort of more affluent sense, I guess, um, in sort of... Like a merchant class, I guess? Well, I was going to say, you can kind of understand that to a
1: certain extent, because it's really... I know it's a pretty big bit of water, but it's just over the other side of the um, Ring of Fire, isn't it? The, what is that? The am um, trying to see. Yeah, it's just... It's like, it's next door, across that sea. So they're going to have trade routes, naturally, anyway. Mm-hmm. Unlike... I mean, there obviously there were trade routes from here, but, but also it's a this long
0: development's way. kind of mostly concentrated in Java, while other Indonesian places are kind of falling behind. Right? Yeah. Um. So there's like a divide there in terms of development. Yeah. And um, in the 1860s, humanitarian and private businesses um, attacked this culture system um which we get into here basically that um it, what i find quite interesting they've called it the liberal policy in 1870 mm. which allows europeans to basically lease land for themselves from the indonesian they can't purchase it um and it it's it sort of i guess like Instead of extracting the value from Indonesian farmers themselves, it's like, oh, well, let's kind of get this land for ourselves to do with what we want. Hmm. So private businesses rather than the government itself is getting to do this, which is why they want the liberal policy, I guess.
1: Which I suppose if you're poor and you've got this land available, you're going to quite tempted to take that leasing money aren't yeah you?
0: Uh, they did put a caveat as like as long as it's not like literally feeding the village like you can ask to buy land who polices that though I mean like I don't know
1: I mean there must be a, a, a huge amount of pressure if you're poor you could um, rent out this field that you've got um, even though it's going to make you a bit hungrier but at least you'll have a bit of money
0: But, um, yeah, they managed to increase tenfold values of exports of coffee, sugar, tea, and tobacco. Um, And under the liberal policy, more, um, like, development happened Sumatra instead of Java Um, in plantations.
1: This this is what... Um, I mean, it says a tenfold increase in the value of exports. So that means that these things that are being exported and paid lots of money for over here are going to be exported. They're not going to be kept in the area or or used to kind of buoy up the local economy. They're
0: not going to be... I mean, things like coffee, sugar and tea, they're cash crops. Right, okay. You're not feeding people on, certainly not tobacco... No. It's not like wheat, no. Right. No. Okay. You're just using that to get as much money as possible. But
1: which I suppose is all right as as long as that land isn't needed for something local.
0: Yeah. Um. Um. But also, they began expanding territory because of this success. Um. Uh, particularly into um, Sumatra and by the mid 18th century controlled all of Java essentially and and they started controlling other parts of Indonesia um uh, through various agreements with different local rulers um not like directly like oh they own this land but they kind of essentially have enough power that they effectively do mm. Anyway, yeah, we'll get to the beginning of the 20th century and then you can do the next bit. Okay. Um, towards the end of the 19th century, towards the end of the 1800s, um, basically they started really rapidly expanding the Dutch Empire there to try and cover basically all of modern Indonesia. Right. Um, and so they start warring with the, like, the Muslim principalities of, like... Asa, um to bring Sumatra under Dutch control from like about 1873 to 1908, and um, in various other sort of chains of islands, the Celebes and Moluccas, um, they basically forced um, the local rulers to accept their control, um, and did that in a lot of other places there. Right. Okay. And, yeah, by about 1910, they effectively controlled it all. That which, was the year before my granddad was born? Yeah. And this sort of lays the backdrop for Indonesian unity, like national identity and independence movements. Right. Right. Right, we can get an next one now. I think that's a good place to stop
1: okay, so um i mean i did I did do a bit of research I did bring up the top thirty singles chart again, but it's going to be all the same stuff, isn't it? It's what we had it's it's pop stuff the top thirty charts um but what no shit <laughs> what I'm looking at next is something called Qasida. um it's an Islamic form of poetry quite famous in Indonesia due to the country's huge Muslim population, mostly centered in Jakarta, mostly sung solo, and by groups of women. It has adopted the modern version of pop known as Popkasidar. Um, traditional forms sung in villages of Java and contemporary forms uh, add the moral values of the new age, like targeting vices such as drinking and smoking. One of the famous all-women group of this genre is one I am going to play an example of now-er. now. Now called Nasida Ria. And here it is.
0: I'm enjoying the sort of quite boppy energy to it, I guess. I like the pink and yellow outfits. It's, it's, a, it's a very sort of strange... Is it pop? I don't, I don't know. know. Well, they've got a bass
1: guitar and an electric guitar there. Yeah. Um, are they... Are they... Bongos?
0: Uh, it might be like a tabla.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not quite sure what it is she's got there. There's an instrument. Um, what is that instrument that she's holding? Um... a bit like some kind of bowed string instrument, doesn't it? Mm. Okay, I'll turn that down a little bit if you want to carry on. Make that one in the background? Okay. We're in 1910.
0: So basically, um, this um, sort of liberal policy, and I guess before that, the culture system, begins to sort of be seen around the world by colonised, developed, well, undeveloped nations, I don't think they're developing yet because they're being held back, essentially, um, as a sort of new imperialism. Right, okay. Because um, so, so like, empires of old yeah. would have been something quite different. Yeah. This is quite exclusive control.
1: This is this is like the, the next stage. This is like the sort of star killer empire. That's the new order, isn't it? Kind
0: of. This is like the... I guess it's sort of the imperialism of the feudal system versus the capital system. Yeah. Um, and new imperialism today tends to mostly focus on that sort of thing.
1: So rather than sort of um, ex- exploration based sort of colonialism that rather than setting up colonies they're kind of ruling as an empire
0: from now on. Do you think? I mean I think it's more that like people would have before just had an empire around their geographic area, rather than going thousands of miles away to basically just extract the natural resources of a place that you have no idea about. Yeah. Like an imperial annex. Yeah. Um, Also, with this expansion, a lot of Dutch immigrants come in and, um, much like I guess we get in uh, probably like South Africa and stuff, um, they sort of set up their own enclaves in cities um, where they're obviously quite affluent, and um, yeah, there's kind of divisions there drawn on like race basically. Yeah. Which you would expect at this time, but I think it continues for quite some time. Um, The service industry grows, stuff starts to urbanise. So things really start taking off now, don't they? Yeah, but the Liberal policy, while it helps the Dutch um, to sort of get land here and start moving here, really doesn't really do that much for the Indonesians. So now the Dutch want to implement what they call the ethical policy um, to try and improve health and education across villages. Right. Um, they didn't really do that very effectively um, it, especially as like by 1930 um, literacy is only measured at like 6% which I don't think is very high even for this time. No, no. Um and then they want to sort of start um, trying to, I guess, some of their ideas come into conflict with some of the more traditional elements of Islam. Mm. Um, which sort of sparked some of the inspiration for the uh, nationalist movements. Yeah. Right, so now we get to the modern period, which I have set as starting at 1920. This is sort of when independence starts. Probably go up to about 1945 before next thing. So,
1: just um, put this in some context of when the so-called Spanish flu was circulating.
0: Yeah, I don't know how much of an effect it would have really had in this part of the world, but... Um, yeah, it, it it only really got that name because yeah, Spain wasn't busy with World War One.
1: Mm. But the twenties, I mean, that that was kind of known as the Roaring Twenties, wasn't it? When they came out of uh, World War One had had sort of finished a while ago, and uh, then the Spanish flu did its thing, and the, and then things began to pick up before the Depression, Great Depression, didn't they? Mm.
0: So. Like, the previous conflicts that are broken up were quite sort of, um... Like, it was just sort of like, oh, fuck you Dutch people, like, we don't want your control here, like, whatever. Or oh, we're having our own internal strife, and the Dutch are getting up in their shit. Yeah. This here now is sort of bringing into the idea of Indonesia as an actual country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rather than just, like, a territory brought together by the Dutch. mm um, so yeah, it, it, like I said, very diverse archipelago, and they want to create something more modern. Um, it's interesting
1: um, seeing like how these... The, it's, it's interesting to kind of look at how the territory kind of ends up defining itself in opposition to the occupying... Forces, if you like.
0: Keeping in mind as well that um, this is when a lot of the world starts democratizing. Yeah, yeah. And like the monarchies of old um, begin to sort of fall by the wayside. Mm. Uh, I mean, the Dutch still have a monarchy. It's just it's like it's not very involved in their politics anymore. I don't think. Anyway, yes. Well, it is, like, in a very fucked-up way, but, like, not directly. Yeah. Um, Yes, as you can understand, there's quite a lot of um, economic and social inequality here that makes people quite pissed off at the Dutch, or just Westerners in general. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So a political... party i guess starts in 1908 which is um budu otomo no budi otomo uh which means noble endeavor um however this is sort of um like the elite farmers from before yeah um which kind of want to incorporate it into dutch society the ones that were getting money back (laughs) from the government kind of yeah (laughs) But then Islamic uh, organizations start forming up, Sarakat Islam, in 1912, uh, under quite a charismatic leader, um, which begins picking up momentum. Go on, try and say it. I'm not going to say that. Um, <laughs> Chokro Minoto. I tried to. It didn't really work. I, I don't think uh, Indonesia specifically very highly affected by world war 1 it's just sort of um i guess influence in the region might have been slightly less prioritized by the dutch at that time yeah
1: i was going to say it would have been a there, w- there would have been secondary
0: involved effects. the dutch actually were in world war 1 yeah um interesting cuz the germans went through belgium yeah i don't think they really I might be wrong here, but I don't particularly remember the Dutch having that much to do with it. Well, as far as the Germans were concerned, was
1: um, the Kingdom of Holland on its way to anywhere else?
0: Well, yeah, they essentially just went through Belgium to get to France. Yeah,
1: because it was going to be a lot easier for them to get across the English Channel, wasn't it, than to try and get across the North Sea. I mean, obviously, they
0: would have... It's a lot further... I mean, if they're trying to get across to the UK... Uh, I mean, it was kind of... They were trying... But I don't think they even really wanted to fight Britain. No. They were trying to get to France because... A bunch of complicated different alliances. Basically, Russia had fucked off Austria-Hungary, which Germany didn't like. Which meant that Germany fucked off Russia, which fucked off France. And then they had to fight France and Russia... And going through Belgium was the easiest way to fight France. I've oh, so tracked us into European history again. Let's yeah, get yeah. back to Indonesia. <laughs> anyway, yeah, basically... It's having effects. Following World War One, I, I don't know if there's any particular relevance to that, they create, the the Dutch government create the Volksrad, which I guess is like people's something or whatever, um, which is supposed to sort of give Indonesians a voice in the government. Um, right. Quite... Um, interestingly, they, um, split the representatives here into racial divisions of Dutch, Indonesian and foreign Asians. Okay. Um, which is interesting. Um, but... Well, I mean, just trying to think about the kind
1: of era, I suppose in some... Um, historical eras that could come across as quite progressive that they're giving
0: Yeah, but it didn't really <laughs> give them that much control of the government it's just like they have somewhere to voice their opinions
1: Yeah, well it's important to make people think that they're being, or feel like they're being listened to, like like they have a say even if they so, don't So, um
0: This gets quite interesting The organisation I mentioned, which is the Islamic organisation, the sort of one of the main nationalist organizations at this point in 1921 um the more conservative members begin to drift from the communists in that organization um and that creates like their own splits and blocks where they expel the communist block and um they start up in 1924, the Indies Social Democratic Association or um, Partei Komunis Indonesia. We'll call that P- PKI. Remember, they're the communists. Right. Um, so they, in 1926, launch a full-on revolt in Java and in now, Western Sumatra.
1: I don't know how much of this would have actually made it to um, our kind of news, but all of the stuff that was going on now would have been uh, the news that that was being consumed back here would have been on like these pathé newsreels in cinemas, wouldn't it? And it, probably a week or two old by the time people heard about it. If you
0: heard about it at all, it would be in newspapers, I'd imagine.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, but considering that you know there was a lot of stuff going on nearer to home, we probably wouldn't have known much about what was going on here. Mm. As members of the British public.
0: But much like party politics, um, even now, they weren't especially, like, organised in their goal, I suppose. And the Comintern, I think, had recently started up. They didn't have their support. Um, So, basically, that revolt in 1926 and subsequently in 1927, both of them were fairly easily crushed and um, basically that finished off the communists um, until like about the end of Dutch rule. Right. Um, Effectively they're they're, I guess sort of reeling from their losses there. Um, And the Islamic organisation for different reasons was on the decline. Um, So here Mm. we get into the interesting part where stuff really starts getting interesting. A general um, study club in Bandung with an engineer called Sukarno as its secretary. Now this club begins to sort of think of nationalism as something, uh, I guess, sort of more modern and urban. A general study club. <laughs> See, this is interesting. I was wondering with this is like a lot of political ideas do actually like start in like student unions and stuff. It's weird, isn't
1: it, that? Well, can you, imagine, can you imagine our bridge club turning into... So- well, no, because you, you're more into, like, the political societies. But these sorts of discussions happening amongst clubs and groups of students and then
0: actually Well, you get to that things. sort of point where it's like, you know, these are passionate people that have education. Still, and still have some energy. <laughs> yeah, well, they have education and... Um, inspiration which are kind of useful things together and a bit of youthful rebelliousness as well yeah um so now they direct towards the goal of independence rather than just general ideas of like oh what is indonesia um and they, they don't really say like oh we would rather be communist or we'd rather be islamic or whatever it's just, we want independence. Sort of, I suppose, you could draw parallels to, like, the SNP. Yeah, I was just thinking. Like, that. they're broadly progressive, but, like, they're kind of, like, I've seen a fair amount of fairly right-wing people in the SNP. They're a means to an end. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a big tent sort of movement that brings together some more left wing elements and some more traditionally conservative elements, I suppose, mm. and students, which is quite important for getting urban's on board or urbanites, I suppose.
1: I mean, people have got uh, obviously. I know we're we're a bit biased. I'm perhaps a, a little less biased, being a mature student, but. The, there's this general kind of um, looking down on students quite a bit, but a lot of stuff comes from, I mean, you know, the, a lot of the vaccine stuff and a lot of progress in scientific discovery comes from university research departments, doesn't it?
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, it, it's... You get to this weird point where you f- like figure out, like, oh, hang on. on, everything else is, like, run by people who are... Probably just about as qualified as me to, like, yeah. do any of this. Yeah. And and
1: you re- reach that point where you realise that um, we don't actually know much and the stuff that we do know isn't guaranteed to be right. It's like you've got to kind of... I mean, there's various amounts of kind of what you might think of as proof, but the, the sceptical approach the The experimental sceptical approach is the best mm. system where progress is made by questioning and challenging everything rather than just accepting
2: mm.
0: dogma so from this sort of study group in um, July we're getting into the point where like we're having to call them mumps because th- there's quite a lot of details happening at once a- July 1927, the Indonesian Nationalist Association, which gets renamed the Interna- Indonesian National Party, um, which, because of the way the Indonesian language works, we're going to name PNI. Um, don't. No. <laughs> I, I hadn't even thought of it until you just said that. Uh, so this is formed under Sukarno, and I should note, Sukarno, if we go way back to the last episode... He's the guy that came up with um, Pancasila, which are those five principles by which um, like, the national philosophy of Indonesia is built upon. Right. So he's like one of the big founding fathers here. Okay. And he's just like some random engineer, engineer here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they you find s- yourself becoming that influential. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, they start a sort of campaign of non-cooperation with the Dutch colonial government in the East Indies. Um, So in October, um, a bunch of youth organisations come together and they sort of begin recognising what Indonesia would become. They create the Indonesian language and sort of recognise it as like Oh, we're a bunch of different peoples, a bunch of different ethnicities, bunch of different languages, but we need a common identity to bring us towards independence. Yeah. Um, but in 1929, Sukarno and some other people are arrested and sentenced to four years. Do we know what four? I'm assuming... <laughs> Um, It might have been for something related to campaigning or a lot of what happens here is like they get arrested for something quite minor to like as an excuse or something maybe even gets fabricated about them.
1: Yeah, but it's basically um, they're finding themselves imprisoned because of their, their, their challenge to the political system.
0: Yeah, probably given the circumstances here. So he's released actually early in 1931 um, but the Indonesian National Party, PNI um, is sort of beginning to um, lose its way without him I guess right. some of the top people in the party. Um, so they form another party, Partindo um and another group um, forms the Indone- Indonesian National Education Club. <laughs> it's all clubs, isn't it? Um, this becomes known as New PNI, which is led by Mohamed Mu- Hatta and uh, Sutan Shaheer. Come and Jahir. join our club. I don't know. Anyway, so he's a. Uh, I arrested. mean, essentially. Th- the, the word club there is it's essentially a political party, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> so, in 1933, Tocano gets arrested yet again. Yeah, on, he's, he's causing himself reasons. some t- a bit of
1: trouble, isn't he? I mean, he's obviously getting on somebody's tits if he's he getting arrested. Gets exiled,
0: and um, the leaders of the other party are also exiled. Um, and. By the late 1930s, we have um, some people that are more willing to cooperate with the um, sort of idea of the Volksrad, the sort of mechanism that's been set up to give them a voice, even if it doesn't really, they're willing to accept membership into that, which I think previously um, these nationalist parties didn't want anything to do with, because it's like, well, you're not giving us anything real here.
1: Yeah, yeah. And this is, uh, I mean, this is all just before it all kicks
0: off, isn't it, really? Mm. So, 1937, uh, Gorindo forms. Um, Now, this is sort of, I guess, more radical in opposing the Netherlands, but what's happening in 1937, the rise of the Nazis... um, so they kind of. I think we get this a lot with like the World Wars, where like it's it's
1: interesting that because you sort you sort of you sort of see it as an extreme organization emerges, it's almost like those who were opposed before begin to kind of club together because
0: nobody wants that shit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, but World War Two's where stuff starts to get really interesting. Um, basically Japan, I mean, the Netherlands itself falls to Nazi Germany. Um, Japan takes the East Indies, breaking their rule, which is where they sort of get a little bit of room to do something a bit different, I guess. They <laughs> take them. <laughs> well, I I suppose the Japanese have different ideas for what they want the East Indies to be here.
1: Yeah. I mean, it can't be, it can't have been that much of a challenge. I expect, um,
0: I expect the Dutch authorities were a, a bit preoccupied back home at the time. Well, yeah, I think they were <laughs> invaded before, and maybe around about the same time, but, yeah. uh, so, you know, they arrest and throw in prison all the See, Dutch it's officials.
1: Interesting, look, you're saying there about, um, Gerindo's supporting the Netherlands against Nazism. It's, uh, it, um, It's it's interesting because I'm reading a lot of um, stuff uh, in in the 1940s Marvel comics at the moment and it's interesting seeing from the sort of popular culture um, area how different countries see Nazism and obviously we were well into kind of World War Territory at that point but there's a mixture of actually sort of invading forces with just invasions of ideas and that kind of um, insipid creep into society of Nazism and right wing kind of political viewpoints you know it's kind of it is it's almost like a sort of social virus isn't it
2: Mm. Mm.
1: (laughs) sorry carry on
2: I
0: mean I think it's important I think like while um you know, nineteen thirties, nineteen forties, Germany did a lot of bad shit, to say the least. It's sort of like that's not specific to Germans.
1: Yeah, like yeah, it's easy to
0: a lot of the eugenics that they were doing, that was going on in America before they even yeah turned to that.
1: Yeah, it's um, I suppose more about the political power behind it that's
0: yeah. Which gets into the whole sort of idea of like national socialism. It's um kind of tricking the working class into um sort of supporting, I yeah. suppose.
1: Um mm. it's like it's like
0: um this very it, It's okay as long as it limited it's limited idea it. of yeah, it's like, oh we'll protect our group of people but that doesn't include all these other people that we decided aren't worth it. Yeah. Um, But yeah. uh, So basically, yeah, Japanese kind of actually get some support from the nationalist leaders. Um, I suppose, sort of, in exchange for having a bit more power, it's kind of a, a bit of a difficult situation here where it's sort of like. Yeah, they're being occupied the, by the Japanese and, like, the Japanese also did a lot of bad shit. Um, but, like, in their view, this would help them more towards independence if they have more power over Indonesia. So would this have had anything to do with, um, is it, what was it, the Yakuza? Are they... The Yakuza's, like, kind of a mafia in Japan. It doesn't really have much to do with World War Two. Oh right, okay. I don't think at least not in like a major way that I could explain.
1: Right, okay. We'll maybe get onto that at some point when we do some other countries.
0: Yeah, they they might have um like more historical roots, but yeah. it's kind of difficult to really say. Anyway. So because of the way that like the the colonies are kind of set up despite being the occupiers, they're kind of initially seen as liberating them. Yeah. Um But they very quickly turn it into, well, we're only having Indonesia here because we want to get what we need for our war efforts out of you. Right. Because it, it, I don't think it's particularly like it's tr- strategically important. for that's, like- I mean, that's weird because
1: that's kind of, that's almost like flipping the... The global positioning there, isn't it? Because oh yeah, Japan did a fuck ton of imperialism. Japan are, are, are like looking for resources to help them with their war effort, which is kind of targeted
0: the other way towards I mean, America from the Pacific coast. I, 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 it's not like extracting wealth so much in such a way
1: that the Dutch did, but but it, you know what I mean? It's it's almost like the West has kind of retreat, been forced to retreat because of Nazism from. The East Indies, and because of that, Japan have been able to come in and and get some help with their war effort going the other way. Do you know what I mean? It's, mm. uh,
0: it's like um, but the basically, <laughs> Chicano manages to convince the occupation that um, the public of Indonesia might support them a bit more if Indonesians were allowed into the government to have some say in the organisation there um so by march 1943 putera which is the center for people's power is formed under sukarno and this kind of allows him to become a sort of de facto leader of indonesia even though it's occupied uh um, so he's he's out of, he's managing to stay out of prison for a while then basically he promises oh i can get you support so that you don't have revolts left right and center because you know, they're expensive to have to clean up, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and it says like through policies like remusha, which is like forced labor, which sounds really weird, but I, I don't know what the explanation was for that, I cannot remember specifically. Anyway, um, they the Japanese train a defense force, which is kind of like, um, I suppose Indonesia's first army properly well not oh, right. first army but like first army under this sort of independence movement yeah yeah they now have a revolutionary army that is trained by the Japanese basically to defend it as like an occupied territory but they'll use this later all yeah, oh, right okay um so the Japanese later in 1944 replaced Putera with um jawa hokutai um because you know they thought this organization was more for indonesia than japan Mm. which it kind of was but you know um which is sort of designed to tighten control um but about six months later They announced that they want to, um, the Japanese announced that they want the East Indies to govern themselves, essentially. So, over a period of time, you could say the Japanese
1: kind of liberated them, really, then. I mean, they kind of... In a roundabout way.
0: They provided breathing room for the nationalist movement there that was already kind of in the process of that. I don't know what would have happened if they didn't Occupy. Yeah, yeah um but yeah uh august nineteen forty five the Japanese surrender Sukarno and Hatta are taken to Saigon, which is in vietnam um and they are promised by a Japanese commander that they will be granted independence right, okay, so they return and they return to the capital where they are supposed to be sort of declaring independence they're under a lot of pressure. Presumably because like they said about going to meet this Japanese commander and you know, the Japanese occupation's just been lifted and there's no Dutch there anymore. Declaring independence, I guess, seems like a politically good thing to do. Um
1: and would that be a good point at which to
0: have our final piece of music? Uh, Sure Declaring independence Well we haven't actually got to that point Oh right okay what happened first They get kidnapped before they do that Because there's just so much pressure to do that Hang Hang on on. There's pressure to do that so they get kidnapped Before they do it before they get a chance to do it Well they don't declare independence Immediately they get Uh, kidnapped Before they do it And then they declare it an independent What are they holding back Why are they holding back do you think I think it was just, like, this sort of thing, like, these things take time to, yeah. like, draft up. And Should then, we? Shouldn't we? Are we ready yet? <laughs> I don't know. But they declare independence on the morning of August 17th, 1945. Okay. Right, well, the last piece of music then I'm going to go for
1: is an example of something called Campursari. Uh It was created by Manthus in 1980. That's fairly recent, then. It's a fusion from three um, styles that we've looked at already. Uh, remember, in the last episode, we had Dangdut, Karonkong, and Kamalan. Um Excuse me. It's from the Javanese dialect and means a mixture of essences. Um, it's from East and Central Java. And we've had Yogyakarta before, haven't we? We mentioned that in this episode,
2: Yogyakarta.
0: Yeah, the prince was passed over for succession and that caused a revolt.
1: The lyrics are in Javanese and the instruments are similar to that of Gamelan and it's not very popular among the young people. So let's have a listen. Mm -hmm. Sorry, this is a video we're watching of this performance. There's a guy sat there, hammering his metal thing with a, some kind of, smoking thing sticking out of his mouth, having a, having a, having a smoke while he plays. I wonder if it'd be like, you know, Slash playing with Guns and Roses with a fag hanging out of his mouth. <laughs>
0: he's got a groovy shirt on yep okay. there we go
1: so independence has- so
0: they adopt a constitution um Which, like, has a president, but um, they have, like, the Central Indonesian National Committee, which kind of works like a parliament. So they have a president and a parliament, which isn't the most usual thing, but um, Sukarno becomes president with the Committee of Confidence. A president who's been in prison. (laughs) It's usually the other way around, isn't it? So, well, revolution breaks out because um, actually the British have come to basically take it back following Japanese Why surrender. Why the fucking al- Yeah, okay. Uh, we can't we, keep our noses out, can we? We a lot we? where it's like Britain just takes control of something and it's like, yeah, we'll just hold this for the Dutch. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so they... Revolt against the British forces that are there. Um, I mean, who is it we think we're fighting in that case?
1: I mean, you'd 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 almost understand it if Japan were like a an occupying force that were kind of you know not welcome, and we were maybe trying to free them, but they'd fucked off at that point, had not they? We were they'd to they'd it let it them be independent. The Dutch, I
0: guess. Um, yeah, because the Dutch thought like, oh, this is ours. Like we own this. So um, Japan
1: stepped in and helped them get their own independence
0: and then well, Japan as, soon as that happens the British occupied it for it. its own interests and yeah. in that they were allowed to move about without getting arrested a bit more. You'd be like,
1: you would be like, would you not just fucking leave us alone to get on with our country please?
0: <laughs> yeah, so they wanted it back. So they were forced to actually negotiate with um, the Prime Minister at the time uh, Sharia In the Mm -hmm. Lingjati Agreement, um, which is signed in March 1947, the Dutch agree to transfer serenity to Indonesia. Um, But they kind of have different ideas of what that actually means. Um, And the Dutch basically try and get the United Nations, which has just very recently been formed, to intervene to do what they think the treaty says that they... (laughs) Allowed to do. So, this in 1948 uh, gets us the Renville Agreement. Um, But then again, they launch another police action. At the same time, in 1946, um, there's a sort of communist left wing plot which doesn't want them to negotiate with the Dutch. I guess you can kind of understand. And um, Complicated, isn't it? in September of 1948, there's a communist revolt known as the Madian Offend Affair, which gets defeated. Right. Now, the second police action that they instigated at following the Renville Agreement, um, this begins to attract American attention.
1: And why is
0: that? Is there um, a particular reason for that? I'm guessing. Americans have usually got a good reason to get involved. Well, I'm su- assuming because United you know, Nations, like, set up in New York, there's some interest there. Right. And also, like, getting new resources in the region. Because America's starting around. to get more and more imperial. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, you know, it wasn't already. just
1: surrendered to them.
0: But like it's looking over the Pacific at this point
1: a lot w- more. When did um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki happen? Uh, that would
0: have been I think 1946.
1: Right okay so
0: I America's don't... getting a bit bolshy now then. I shall look up um, when that happened because they surrendered in 1949 I... yeah here we go uh... yeah it was 1945 actually Yeah, actually very shortly before they surrender here, which is kind of a weird way in which America directly influenced um, Indonesian independence. Right, okay. Um, By, you know, committing atrocities as they do. And now they're
1: sniffing around.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so they have a conference at The Hague. They agree to transfer sovereignty because all these fucking agreements get kind of confusing. Um. But um, it's almost like let's destabilise the area. and Western uh, New Guinea, which later becomes Papua New Guinea, uh, is something separate and is something for future negotiations to figure out. Anyway, 1950, um, they get rid of that previous constitution, replace it with a unitary one, um, with multi-party parliamentary democracy with... President of the I think it kind of works like the United States, vaguely in terms of government. Right. Um, so we get a few parties after independence. Mazuni, no, Maz which is sort of the big Muslim party. Um <laughs> Nadlat Sorry, I've just got this picture in my head of a load of Muslims having a party. But please uh, <laughs> Nadlatul Udlama. um, Which is sort of abbreviated to NU, which is kind of like another. There's a lot of Islamic parties. Um, This one's sort of like a more, like I guess, uh, academic theologians party, which kind of feels very weird. Um, (laughs) A nationalist party. They do exist. um, Is PNI sort of reformed Um, again? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how like what nationalism looks like here because there's a very big difference between um like nationalism of like British people going like, Oh, we want to dominate the world and whatever and this just being like, Oh, we want to have control over our own country, please. Just wanna be us (laughs) Yeah. So like as opposed to when Nigel Farage says take back control as that, well, to when that, these guys say again, take back control. That again reminds
1: me of Scottish nationalism. It's like we're not interested
0: in controlling anyone else. Yeah. Just ourselves. <laughs> I would be wary with like nationalist parties like the SNP of like it doesn't cross that line because it can be quite thin sometimes. Yeah, but... Yeah, I suppose. I, it doesn't seem to be going that way from what I've seen, but...
1: I'm not sure what they would be seeking to control, but...
0: <laughs> and then there's separate uh, Communist Party, PKI, which I believe we had before coming back, following after being, like, crushed by the Dutch government there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they sort of agree some things before the first election. Um, however, um, before that happened, there's a bunch of different governments which kind of create instability um, in which um, places that aren't Java are kind of angry at the government all being centred around Java the Sukarno's sticking around a while isn't he yeah Um, well he sticks around I think into the 70s really at least in terms of influence well he's sticks around I don't know Uh, hang on I'll see (laughs) Uh yeah so a lot of the outer lying islands produce stuff while like the sort of more open environments happening in Java. Yeah. Um so you know Sukarno's kind of annoyed that he doesn't have more power as president um and he starts to sort of meddle a bit more in the constitution stuff yeah mm. um which i don't know if this is like in 1956 this causes his vice president has to resign um, um but by 1957 he's beginning to lay out his own sort of architecture of Indonesian government
1: right yeah, it's it's interesting seeing the progress of like you know supposedly coming along and and trying to almost liberate a country, and then trying to impose... find Getting to a place where you're trying to impose... Um,
0: they're, they're all thin lines, aren't they?
2: Mm.
0: Well, we get to this particularly with Suharto um, later, which yeah. you might have actually heard of, maybe? I don't think so. Um, it's a lot more popular among the worlds. Um, we'll get to that. Yeah. Basically, he starts criticising... Uh, like the ideas of western uh, democracy not democracy itself but the the specifically western sort of brand of it the way we implement it (laughs) yeah and so his idea is we'll have democracy but with uh, figureheads him uh, his guidance yeah um, which is sort of loosely based on uh, a bunch of different indigenous procedures where like People would come together, debate, to just try and reach some sort of uh, unanimity, I guess. I cannot say that word. Unanimity. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it, it's not really like how the UK Parliament would work, where you have two sides arguing, they never really agree, and one just decides all the time. Yeah, because they have the power yeah the idea is here that you know you would have some sort of agreement there with an overseer yeah i guess sort of a moderator, yeah, and so he has the four main parties um but he also sets up a national con- council not council um which has a bunch of different groups within Indonesian society um I, mean, I suppose essentially could, like, that's what you might think. Heard. You might think that's the role of the Speaker
1: of the House here, but they they don't have that much well, kind they, of overseeing power, do they? They're kind of, they're, they're just.
0: But it's kind of undermined by the fact that they're always the member of the ruling party. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so um, next two years they have quite a lot of crises here. Um. Uh, oh Jesus hang on how does this even begin the, yeah they it have a state of war and siege um, they form a <laughs> a state of war and siege was declared oh they begin seizing a bunch of Dutch property and um, want to recover western New Guinea which is now Papua New Guinea right Basically, this is kind of where, like, the line of nationalism kind of becomes like, oh, you're kind of getting close to this, um, here when, like, yeah, a nation that is now sovereign, and we'll get into that later, is now being subject to Indonesian imperialism, yeah, yeah. Uh, although at the time, I don't know, maybe it's actually owned by take, the Dutch, so take,
1: take heed, UK,
0: yeah, <laughs> so. They start confiscating Dutch enterprises, which, see, this brings up an interesting discussion of, like, I think we have this a lot of a discussion of, like, um, return of land to, like, black farmers in South Africa. Yeah. And a lot of the commentators we're here talking about that are talking about it from a very white perspective, where it's like oh, well, we owned that, but it's like, yeah, but you stole it, but but we owned that. (laughs) I suppose it
1: becomes difficult when um, it becomes generational. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, you may well have lived on a particular
0: piece of land and your family owned it when you were born. But um, this is something that might get interesting. It's sort of how the army begins to get political power of its own. They start running these Dutch enterprises as military entrepreneurs. Yeah. By 1958, a revolutionary government of the Republic of Indonesia, which is um, backed by the big uh, Muslim party, um, as well as a military commander... Uh, they launch an alternative government. This is all happening very quickly, isn't it? I mean, like, governments are kind of... I don't know, it seems like a constant it's, state of revolution. I think it's this sort of chaotic stage following independence. Like, they had this very clear idea of, like, oh, we want independence, we don't want to be controlled by the Dutch anymore. And then it's sort of like... I get it. And it's, well, what do we do with it? <laughs> yeah. Um, which I guess should be something... Um, interesting to look at from like a Scottish independence but definitely yeah Um, because you're going to have a lot of different groups within um, absolutely that looking for a very different type of Scotland Mm. anyway um, so they suppress the rebellion um, and Sukarno fully introduces this idea of guided democracy Uh, In 1959. So now there's new electoral laws. There's fucking a bunch of constitutional messes here. Um, Basically, his own assembly um, rejects his budget. Or rejects the government's budget. Um, So he replaces them with a new parliament uh, to preserve the country's union unity and restore national identity and so we're getting into this sort of like is Sukarno like being really quite controlling here and like ju- yeah. rejecting democracy yeah yeah this is a fucking different discord as well
2: <laughs>
0: Uh so he hosts the fourth Asian Games in 1962 builds a bunch of like uh, grandiose buildings, monuments um there's economic problems here but like he's trying to sort of project unity with um, Mm. quite big symbolic gestures wonder if there's any parallels there you think in 2012 oh I mean that would be another one yeah (laughs) I was thinking like the whole clap for carers thing is like trying to maintain unity Tom stop Thomas stop interrupting our Podcast with your tweetage, uh, Discordage, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then we get into this interesting part where, like, the Communist Party and the army are, like, directly opposed to each other. And he's sort of forced to step in, um, from the army, basically fucking up the communists. Um, and he, he sort of does this in a way that's like, um, it could be seen as like favoring the communists quite a lot because i guess it's sort of like defending them from the military has that sort of look to it mm. um but some see it as sort of like you know it's sort of like trying to keep this power balance
1: are we we are going to yeah we are going to finish indonesia today aren't we it's just yeah we're, we're, we're nearly getting to the
0: coup <laughs> the coup yeah well the military stuff is building up
1: Ah, it's all, it's all
0: destabilising, so, isn't it? By 1962, they recover Western New Guinea, now known as Papua New Guinea, uh, with a UN agreement with the Netherlands, um, that by 1969, that the inhabitants of Western New Guinea could um, have a choice whether they wanted to be part of Indonesia. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... At this time, like, in... Um, that, that, That's what became Papua New Guinea, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Around about uh, 1962. Does that mean they decided not to then? Um, eventually, yeah. I don't know particularly when. We'll but get to that. <laughs> Malaysia formed around about this time, getting independence from Britain, I suppose. As you do. Um, and Indonesia starts being very confrontational towards ah. Malaysia in 1963. Yeah, this this is where we were going
1: to save the bit about the national anthem, wasn't it?
0: Please, yeah, carry on. This is and, interesting. Um in 1965, going as far as to withdraw from the United Nations because Malaysia was added to the Security Council. Which is quite an extreme move there. Yeah. Yeah, it is a bit, isn't it? It's like Which is why um, Sukarno is not very popular on the world stage. And um, his successor, despite doing a lot of very fucked up shit, is kind of like just given a free pass because.
1: But they're still not friends, really, are they? Malaysia and um, Indonesia.
0: No, there's tensions there. I don't know.
1: Well, it's just uh, we've got. uh, When was it? This was at the end of 2020, end of December. There was a a, um, a bit of uproar about a Malaysian YouTuber putting up a video, um, a parody of the Indonesian national anthem in the Malay tongue of the language that because they, t- they speak the same language, don't they?
0: Um, yeah, kind of, yeah. It
1: turns the verses of Indonesia's public song of, song of devotion, um, for instance, from "Indonesia, my homeland" to "Indonesia, my hardship." Um, so, it additionally, changed Indonesia's symbol from the Garuda, a legendary monster-winged creature, into a scared chicken. While superimposed in the foundation were photos of a youngster peeing on an Indonesian banner. <laughs> so they were they weren't too um, happy about that, but do carry on. I like the Indonesian national anthem. We'll have it again at the end. Mm. <laughs>
2: um.
0: So in October 1965 a group of army conspirators calling itself the September 30th movement. You're a bit late on that by October, mate. But um, (laughs) they kidnap and murder uh, six generals. And in the morning, they announce that they have seized power in a coup against the president by a council of generals. Now, um, one General Suharto, who was part of this coup... Uh, who is commanding the strategic reserve, begins to gather power um, in this sort of chaos here. Uh, And by the evening um, there, he had managed to seize um, kind of the lead of this conspiracy, of this coup. It's chaos, isn't it? So what the fuck's going on? So... The... Hmm... Yeah, the PKI, the Communist Party, thought, were saying, oh, this is the army doing shady stuff within itself, while the army were saying that this was the communists trying to seize power. Uh-huh. So basically, they kind of used this as an excuse to um kill, with estimates ranging from um 80,000 to up to a million communists. Jesus, um is this genocide going on here? I don't know what the technical definition of that would be uh but it's uh, that hmm.
1: it's political rather than racial, isn't it?
0: ethnic, national, racial, or religious group they're yeah, more of a political group, so technically not, but it's certainly an atrocity, yeah, yeah. Um, Many of these were just, like, alleged communists as well. They weren't, like, members or anything. They also detained 10,000 people without a trial between 1969 and 1980. This is getting into the part where, like, this happened within your lifetime. You see, I mean, this is just just really disturbing
1: because, you know, you you could see people labelling us as communists because of our political views
0: yeah I mean I would be proud to stand by that, but not to get killed for it really,
1: but it is that kind of that it's a political art isn't it of painting the, painting at your opposition to be some kind of evil
0: mm. um so basically this destroyed the communist party um and sicano really had no more power here. And by 1966, the army forced Sukarno to basically give power over to Suharto. So in 1967, Suharto is installed as acting president. And by 1968... I wasn't um, born yet. Yeah, by 1968, he's like the official president. My brother was. And he keeps Sukarno under house arrest until he dies in 1970. Uh, Just a year before I was born. Mm. So Sukarno has very different ideas here. Um, He stops confronting Malaysia, at least partially, and rejoins the UN. And... um, See, this is a very strange thing because he sort of restores some sort of political stability here um, with ideas of the new order, which sounds very sinister. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's, uh, um, so these are sort of like of bringing the economy back and um, getting foreign investors interested, which is maybe why it's presented like this, because like... It's within foreign interest to present this as like a really great period where it's like they were committing what like we were like is this fucking genocide like five minutes ago? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. To t- like turn over a new leaf and start again, right? Like, just yeah, like not erase history, but kind of the focus as is you ahead might now.
0: Expect um, yeah, they start a state-run oil company called Pertamina. Um, which becomes the centre of their economic expansion into the 70s. And I'm, I'm well alive now. So this economic development begins to affect a lot more areas outside Java as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, free enterprise begins to grow. Um, however, a lot of the business owners are Suharto's own kids, Um who were, like, given preferential treatment, as you might expect. Yeah. Mm. Uh,
1: This is all well into my lifetime.
0: Technically, technically, um, even though it was instituted basically by a military coup, um, it's not a military regime, uh, but it's very definitely authoritarian. I'm
1: interested to see where this is all going to end up, because obviously this is within my lifetime. There's a lot of...
0: Authoritarian style stuff going on. So um, he sort of um, changes the political system quite a lot as well. He brings all the main Muslim parties into one big united development party, which is a uh, PPP. Okay. <laughs> it that's uh, just Indonesian. Um, that's what the acronym is. Uh huh. <laughs> and a bunch of non-Muslim parties into the Indonesian Democratic Party, or PDI. Um, So you've got a two-party system emerging with Muslims on one side and non-Muslims on the other. Is that right? Yeah, kind of. Um, Then those functional groups that council designed to sort of instill guided democracy starts its own party even though it's supposed to be kind of nonpartisan, partisan um, called Golkar and these guys dominate elections um, well into the 80s um, which I think Suharto sort of leads yeah
1: yeah this is uh, I mean uh, yeah it is weird when it starts to get into your own lifetime because obviously I'm, I'm aware of all sorts so of these shit, guys
0: um, sort of impose this national philosophy Pancasila. And um national philosophy he basically has free reign in elections from nineteen seventy one up to nineteen ninety eight yeah Um.
1: and I uh, wonder how the people who don't share that national philosophy are regarded how they have to however behave.
0: however he he was trying to sort of spread development to sort of um Keep national unity, I suppose. Um, so at this point, Western New Guinea's still in,
1: still part of Indonesia, isn't it?
0: Yeah, they'd gotten it, I think, off of the Dutch. I don't know, um, but I assume they'd decided to stay. However, there is a free Papua movement. Um, so, Tuharto tries to encourage immigration to Papua New Guinea to try and get it in Well there's a wind rush in the making isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this is seen as um imposing d- d- you know, in Indonesian culture there and um also kind of using it to just exploit Papua New Guinea's resources. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Then uh the Portuguese pop uh what the fuck colony of um East Timor, oh, which right, yeah, yeah. literally just means east east, um <laughs> timor is just east um they hadn't claimed in uh, indonesia hadn't claimed this yet um until stuff going on in portugal made it a little bit more unstable for them so um in 1975 and 1976 uh indonesia uh kind of basically invades east timor um which was a bit of criticism because just invading Portugal's colonies, it's not really the international cooperation thing they were looking for. Mm. Hmm. And they also um, killed tens of thousands of people while trying to fight the movement for an independent East Timor. Yeah, I mean,
1: you can see why... So many countries around the world are uh, suspicious of Western influence.
0: Mm. (laughs) Um, We don't have the best record. The Islamic parties also weren't very thrilled about um, Pankathila being the guiding uh, sort of mantra of uh, the nation of Indonesia Uh, because I mean I think while belief in God is a part of it it's like that's not it's not particularly aligned to Islamic philosophy Mm. specifically Um, Muslim students start to criticize the government more and more for corruption and start demonstrating corrupt governments whatever next and they even riot um, when the Japanese Prime Minister visits in 1978 (laughs) That sort of feels like a sort of irony there. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. And this makes the government essentially close down the press parts of it and um, arrest a bunch of students.
1: Yeah. It's troublemaking students. I
0: don't know. Um. Various regions sort of break out into conflict to, with like party politics involved in it. It's it's a very weird thing. This um, looking at party politics where like wars are breaking out because you wouldn't think like oh, Labour's supporting a um ethnic conflict in the Midlands or something. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. It, it it's uh, quite a strange thing um they sort of bring about the emergence of a sort of affluent business middle class um and the army the military becomes more prominent in things Chinese immigration becomes more prominent and uh this sort of brings in some anti-Chinese racism and Maybe not like I don't know if you would call it racism, but certainly like uh, sentiments against the Chinese. It's weird, though, thinking that this is all like you know,
1: nineteen nineties, which you're coming up to is is it's over thirty years ago.
0: Mm. <laughs> so their more moderate foreign policy makes them a lot more friendly, and they sort of emerge as a leader of the industrializing world um, by hosting. Uh, second African Asian conference in 1985 wait okay uh... oh this is quite fucked up Um, Papua New Guinea they wanted to minimise incidents on their border and in 1989 they reached an agreement with Australia on the exploitation of seabed resources I'm guessing around Papua New Guinea. I've heard of a lot of shady shit Australia's done in West Papua with uh, the Indonesian government. Right. Okay. Um. ASEAN, the organisation we mentioned earlier. I forget how that all that area kind of
1: leads down towards Australia. Hmm. Um...
0: Uh, so. That organisation opposes Vietnam's occupation of Cambodia in 1978, which I didn't even know about. Like, I knew about the Vietnam War. I didn't know that Vietnam subsequently occupied Cambodia, which is weird because I remember
1: Cambodia. I don't know when it became Campuchia and what it is now, or what it was, if it was Campuchia before or I don't know. But anyway, Cambodia was... I don't know if it was round about that time or slightly after... That it became embroiled in famine.
0: All right. Um. Basically, they Indonesia sort of um sets the stage for its modern position in um like global politics by negotiating quite a lot of this um around the Vietnamese occupation here. Hmm. Um. So they host the 10th Conference of the Non-Aligned Movement and feature pr- prominently in the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation. Um, yeah, Sukarno personally serves as a chair. Still around. Basically, he's just very popular <laughs> for working with a bunch of other places to yeah. basically get a bunch of money, usually. but I'm getting him mixed up with Sukarno, aren't I? Um... Yeah. <laughs> so in uh, 1997, this is sort of what brings his downfall here. Uh, Thailand struck by a financial crisis. See, that looks weird. Yeah, carry on. Cause, uh, which uh, <laughs> begins to sort of spiral towards other East Asian countries. Yeah. Um, which leads Suharto to sign an agreement with the International Monetary Fund. Uh, it has a bunch of conditions that he's supposed to do, I suppose, for like economic development. He d- doesn't really want to do that, though. Um, but
1: it's interesting that it says
0: there that after the death of his wife,
1: um, his health begins to deteriorate. And then the exchange rate largely depended on his health.
0: Well, he was sort <laughs> of like, if Suharto dies at this point, I mean, he's a kind of not officially a dictator, but like... It there's not really anyone here to take his place that's particularly strong. So if he right. dies, well, then Indonesia's economy goes. I mean that that's kind of shit. borne
1: out by that next point you've got there about May nineteen ninety-eight. So
0: yeah, he goes to a conference in Cairo. Jakarta like I guess sort of has a riot in which one thousand people die because <laughs> What's the riot sparked by? that? Four students are shot by armed forces. Allegedly. Yeah, well, it's this sort of thing. It's <laughs> like the whole Syrian civil war is escalated from, um, I think, possibly the shooting of two teenagers who were doing graffiti. Yeah. It's this sort of thing that's like it was probably going to escalate at some point, but yeah, like that's a just a bit and of catalyst. Extent. Um, Flashpoint. Yeah. Um. Mm, yeah, the, the stuff about like students occupying government buildings. Um, his cabinet just refuses to kind of form properly. Mm. I've heard of this Habibi bloke. All right. Yeah, so Suharto resigns after this and um, he's replaced by his vice president, B.J. Habibi, who, um, yeah, Indonesia's in quite a lot of um, yeah, political yeah. and economic turmoil. Yeah, sort this shit out. <laughs> and between 1998 and 2004, Indonesia has four different presidents. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll We'll run off them very quickly. We're getting near the end. None, none of these guys served a full term Um, although a lot of reforms were apparently made here stuff began to democratize more and freedom of the repressed I suppose the freedom of the press began to return and um, effective law enforcement like actually like not massively corrupt law enforcement that's not just like the military <laughs> yeah um, but this also comes with some regions having greater drives for independence. Um. Oh, sorry, I just saw
1: something coming up which I very much remember. Sorry, carry on. Basically, he
0: needed to des- deliver some sort of report. Um, I guess like it's kind of like the equivalent of the Queen's speech. This gets rejected by Parliament. And um, this gets followed by East Timor officially seceding from the republic uh, while Habibi's in charge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the next guy, Wahid, he leaves because he's fucking useless. Habibi. Next guy, Wahid, is um, regarded as some sort of intellectual from that uh, like theological Muslims party. Hmm. He's the first one to win a vote through the like the parliament. He has more liberal views on religion politics. He has support from Muslims and non-Muslims. Um, however, he gets um, impeached just after 19 months after a number of scandals in 2001. Scandalous politicians, whatever next. Yeah. So the next guy, Megawati, who is actually Sukarno's daughter, Sukarno, not Suharto, she's just around, um, Wants to resolve some of the conflicts which are in East Timor and as well as Asa and Irian Jaya, which I think are in Sumatra. They're the old like Muslim kingdoms. Mm. Anyway, I'm trying to get through this very quickly. That's right. 2002, East Timor gains a full sovereignty, um, and the other territories are gained have some sort of autonomy. Um. Oh, yeah. Irian Jaya uh, becomes Papua, So, which then splits into Papua and West Papua in 2003. So
1: does Papua New Guinea not exist anymore?
0: No, Papua New Guinea is this.
1: Okay. That's separate uh, um, from Papua and West Papua, then. Is hold
2: it?
0: on. <laughs> uh, no, I think Papua is the whole island. Right, okay. Um... This is the Indonesian part of Papua. Right.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, um,
0: Which, um, yeah, West Papua is where a lot of... Yeah, because I think I
1: remember look at, seeing on a map there's like an island that's split into sort of three sections, isn't there?
0: That's Borneo. Oh, okay. <laughs> My geography is going to get better with this series. So Golkar, which is sort of like the Nationalist Party of Cejato kind of, um, end up with the large number of seats... Um oh Jesus. Sicillo Bambang (laughs) Yoono of the Democrat Party easily beats Megawati. So I don't know Uh, what gender that Politician is um Yudhianna faces a crisis. Now, this is the bit I was thinking earthquake in 2004.
1: Is that was that that Boxing Day tsunami?
0: Which then, yeah, well, it's in December, so I'd guess so. Yeah, that, that which was then horrific, triggered a suma- tsunami a, which causes widespread death and destruction. There's a really good film about that
1: tsunami, I can't remember what it's called now, but it'd be easy to find.
0: So, despite this, he manages to improve some things with political stability and economic stability following Suharto. Um, He wins the Democrat Party, a majority coalition in Parliament again, and gets a second term in 2009. They don't have much luck, this, this. I mean,
1: political instability aside, earthquakes and tsunamis and volcanoes and shit.
0: Yeah, he's then faced with even more disasters: uh, another earthquake and tsunami in Sumatra, and a volcanic eruption in Java, um, which means that like around one hundred fifty thousand people need to evacuate. Um, later, he gets dogged by a bunch of corruption scandals, and um, he loses a bunch of support. And Seems eventually, to be, uh, fashionable. The current ruling party, I believe, uh party demic. PDIP the Democratic Indonesian Party of Struggle or whatever it was they win in the 2014 general elections and that's when we get President Yoko Widodo they had the most seats in parliament and uh, but Gurindra uh, which is another nationalist party I think forms the majority with um, a bunch of other people I don't fucking care <laughs> Basically, all... we're up into the present day, like around about 2015 with yeah. Yoko
1: Yeah, it's still all going on. There's so many places in the world that are just not stable. And you just kind of... Oh, I, don't I know.
0: mean, I think things sort of got back on track by about 2004 by the looks of things.
1: But Yeah. But what's interesting is thinking about how all of this... You know, you see the historical shit that's going on politically and geographically and imperialistically and colonialistically and you think how does this feel I, to the population
0: i hope that managed to stay interesting because i i was <sighs>
1: yeah i feel like you're you're ready to you're ready to you're more ready to to finish than i my voice is gone. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Should we should we have a rendition of the National Anthem then?
0: Uh, do we know? Well, do we want to have maybe a bit more, of the like a little bit of a discussion? Uh, and, I mean, it's like a quarter past 11, so...
1: Yeah, I mean, we're two and a half hours in, so... Yeah. Um, well done. <sighs> but
0: maybe... Oh, I've got to do another one.
1: Reflect. Yeah, but you've got four weeks. <sighs> reflect on the... Um, mammoth scale of your research and feed that into next episode. It was brilliant, really good and comprehensive. Um, but I'm sure you've got plenty of uni work to do, so you, you can do less if you want I, I've
0: to. been neglecting things because I've been doing crisis for three days. Well, it's only
1: three days, isn't it? I mean, I've yeah. de- 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 declared Neglected, neglected. everything. <laughs> I've neglected everything except my teacher training this week. So mm. be back on with, uh...
0: um, yeah. So just general structure. This wasn't supposed to be two parts, but I think I'm glad it is. Yeah, th- I mean, I think five five and a half hours would have been a bit much. Mm. I I I hope it's entertaining and informative and um, insightful. Ah, uh, well, if not, then tough shit. I really. did kind of have to rush that last <laughs> bit, but a lot of it's stuff that, like, happened in recent
1: It's interesting, memory. though. I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated now. Do we know what the next country is? Are we allowed to next say? The next country is Portugal,
0: which... has really ha- very different. Has
1: they were some, mentioned.
0: Yeah, they have some tie-ins with sort of, like, the beginning of the colonial period and yeah. East Timor, but beyond that, not
1: really... No, it's, a, it's a very different
0: country, isn't it? Yeah, well, I wanted to sort of keep it to five quite different countries. I shall look forward to um, that. At a time. No doubt there will be
1: much of interest to explore with Portugal. Um, mm.
0: Well, I, I think we explored some of it along the way, but mm. just generally, what are your views on, like particularly the modern period of, like, like, who's kind of at fault there? Because, like, there's quite a lot of different imperialistic people that are kind of, like, overshadowing one another there. Um,
1: probably I would put the blame at the door of the Dutch and British East India companies. Because like, when the whole region was going through that period of forming itself into countries, if you like, uniting in regions and stuff, they kind of – they they were exploiting, basically mm. –
0: Um, I mean, I think... And then they fucked off. Britain probably had a much bigger role in Malaysia and Singapore.
1: Right, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, there's a lot to blame, isn't there, really? Um, But it seems like a power vacuum. Yeah. Where there is then a rush to control and it's kind of... It's almost like it, it has to be really... Uh, frantic, and then it might gradually I feel settle like, down. Sort of
0: like the story of Sukarno, which started like as like a student movement, and by the time he graduates to power, by like working with the Japanese, he has quite controlling ideas. But like, but it would be easy to to you could see him you. as being better than Suharto in many ways. It would it would be easy to kind of.
1: Find yourself in that position if you've been if you've been the leader of a kind of a rebel movement that's actually won. It would be easy to find yourself thinking that you know what's best for the country, and then finding yourself trying to impose it because you can see it slipping yeah, away. I
0: think he did get exiled twice or something. So, yeah. mm. interesting, very interesting.
1: Um, I really need to lose. So, shall we? I, I wind up.
0: I do find it interesting how we look now at Indonesia. I think a lot of people have a very different view of Suharto because, like, he was beneficial to American interests. All right, okay. Basically, the oil company.
1: Yeah. That's always the oil, isn't it? Yeah. Which
0: it you can know well, is um it has always been the oil. I think this is like episode. Uh, well, it'll be six if we don't do any more part twos Venezuela um, we'll get into a lot of their recent decline has basically been because they haven't let it's Americans in on their oil but
1: historically I mean we it's interesting they're probably going to look back on a period of a good two or three hundred years and refer to it as the fossil fuel era uh,
0: I hope we get that far
1: yeah, well, you had you had like the Bronze Age and the Iron Age, and
0: well, I, I guess it would probably more be looked on. Will as this like be the, the fossil fuel age? age?
1: Yeah, but that's that's dependent on oil.
0: Isn't yeah, looks like mean. But we might not use fossil fuels that whole time. I would right.
1: not. But the plastic age, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's an interesting idea. That yeah,
0: or the information age, which is quite commonly referred to now.
1: Definitely the plastic age. Well
0: I don't know, because plastics,
1: yeah. We we shall see. Anyway.
0: Mm. Yes, we should wrap up. Um
1: where does the national anthem go?
0: Uh I think we did it after the outro before.
1: Oh we did it over the um ending, didn't we? And and then into where did we do it? Did we do it over the...
0: I don't know. If I
1: over do. the outro. Okay. Well, should we say goodbye and then play the national anthem and I'll okay. stick it in somewhere? <laughs> anyway, I have been
0: Firebolt. And I have been the Orbiter. And this has been Breaking Borders Episode 2 Indonesia Part 2. Bye! Uh, <laughs> No, oh, this is a horrible thought. This has probably been played while like murdering thousands of communists. <laughs> so, that, so I'm not laughing because of communists being murdered,
1: but it does take on a different tone, then, doesn't it? Yeah, it felt
0: very jolly last episode. Well, we were at the time where it's like, Indonesia's like this scrappy, fledgling nation and we've gotten to the point where like, it gets into its ugly statehood Yeah I mean, you can see tanks I mean, rolling and... Yeah <laughs> It's better than being owned by the Dutch, that's for sure but like... <laughs> Sorry, bait
1: <laughs> No, fuck you, bait <laughs> Yeah, it's all your fault <laughs> where Thomas is from do you think we can blame him for anything <laughs> well he's from England so yes Ooh, what's the next break in Bollocks about by the way I don't fucking know ah well we'll find out in a couple of weeks
2: mm.
1: how bloody long is this I need a piss <laughs> I feel like I'm desecrating their national anthem but now I don't give a shit because I know what it stood for a lot of the time I mean it's a jolly tune hmm it started again shut up this podcast is part
2: of the after dark podcast network